Hello all, welcome to this episode of Buzzing, a Glasgow-based podcast talking about all things culture and art. I am your host, Natalie Nicolaides. This podcast was brought to you by Hive Curatorial Collective, a collective consisting of five independent curators based between Glasgow and Berlin. Within our projects, Hive works with artists who address issues surrounding ecology and ethics through the medium of exhibitions, installations and publications. The aim of the podcast is to have semi-casual to casual conversations and discussions around contemporary issues, not only within the world of art, but also using artistic work to translate the world around us, ranging from performance to sculpture and film to music. If you like what you hear and you'd like to reach out and chat, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram and find us on Facebook under Hive Curatorial Collective. I hope you enjoy. All right. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi. I'm here today with um, the three lovely ladies who run 16 Nicholson Street in Glasgow. Um, so it's Isabella Shields. Hello. Uh, Nell Cardozo. Hey. And Aga Paulina. Moonjack. Moonjack. There we go. Sorry. I apologise. <laughs> so I just wanted to... Thank you everyone for coming. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the space because I've been recently to see it to see it in I think was it Saturday was the opening? Uh, it was on Friday. Friday. Friday was the opening of Our World Dash The World to Come, uh, which was curated by Aga. And it featured artworks by Kian, Dernier and Siri Black. That's right. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So I wondered if you could just give me a bit of a background to the space. Really, because I know when did it first start up? Sure. So um, I established it with a friend in September twenty sixteen. That was the first time that it kind of opened as a gallery space, um, and the focus of the gallery has always been to uh, facilitate the work of emerging artists and to work in dialogue with more international, more established artists as well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of been a project based on collaboration in a lot of ways, which is one of the nice things about now having this curatorial collective. Right. So was it you that kind of had an open call? for other two curators to make the collective? Yeah, in December of last year, the person I was working with before couldn't do it anymore. Like, I'd only worked in, like, one and two-person teams until then, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it wasn't really functional, effectively, um, because it's way too much to do for one or two people. So we had an open call. It was on Creative Scotland. It was on our website. It was kind of everywhere Mm -hmm. the gallery was. And, yeah, there were a lot of applicants, and these guys were the stars. (laughs) I'm just joking. Everyone was a star. Yeah. Everyone was a star in their own way. But yeah, this is how the team's boiled down. Yeah. And then there were a few more of us. There were six of us to begin with. Uh, Yeah, I think seven, including me. Mm -hmm. And then a sort of team of five in the middle of last year with Eve Goulden and Mooka Tana. And now Eve moved back to London and Mook stayed on as our graphic designer. So we're beginning 2020 now. What is the programme looking like? Well, I think like the one thing that we always have, the the one thing that we always have plenty of is proposals and exhibitions, and I think we always we're always really excited by things that we receive. So we we've booked up all the way until next until September, amazing, which is quite good. Um, and people keep are always sending us new stuff, and it's and it's always great. So that's maybe one thing we are never lacking is is the amount of proposals and the amount of artists that are wanting to work with us, which is really great. Yeah, and it's really exciting as well to get to see so much work from so many people. Like I think especially when we put 
a call out, out for our April show, the one that's going to coincide with GI. It was really great to get an international spectrum of responses for, to that from being on curator space, being on creator Scotland, so that was really fun. Yeah, and when we did that, we received loads of applications and we basically programmed the the year like 19 uh, and 2020 mm-hmm. until September. And I think we're going to like I, I assume we're going to work in a similar way next time when we when we just um, sit down in the summer and look out look through all the applications and mm. make a new selection. So that's how the process goes. You just compile everything and kind of have a reviewing panel of it. Yes, and it's just the three of you, or do you have like external people who are also um, throwing their hat in? Would, it would just be the three of us. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it used to be more of us. Yeah, yeah, and I think also we've had. We've had kind of nice gaps or spaces within other exhibitions that have worked quite well for events or other proposals that aren't necessarily part of the long ex- long term exhibition planning. So we've hosted like a couple of events and things like that where we've been been able to host performance artists and things like that, mm-hmm. which we haven't necessarily had to plan you know months in advance. So yeah. there's a bit of flexibility with that as well. Okay, so I think we've touched a little bit on how your organisational structure kind of looks like. So is it like, is it split between all three of you at the time being? Or is there, like, Isabella, you said that you found the, so I guess, is, like, how is the distribution looking from a, I don't know, this sounds really terrible, but from a, like, a business perspective? <laughs> HR. From an HR perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... um. That's an interesting question for us because we're none of us are like have any business background really, mm. yeah. and it's quite a new development um, that we are that it's just the three of us, mm. and that we actually intend for this to stay, mm. um, and and that's also because we wanted to become a CIC and because um, we find that model will suit our our purposes better and our like potential like funding applications and. Mm. And um, and in that model, it just basically would work better if we all had equal um, responsibilities. Yeah. yeah, I think as well in the structure we've got and the structure we've had in the past, what happens, I think, in every artist-led space is that people pick up where other people can't. People, like, the distribution of work is so dependent on what everyone's capacity is, like, yeah. in that space of time and in that moment. Um, especially because it's voluntary, we run it voluntarily at the moment. We'd like to change that basically, just so we could focus more completely on the gallery. Um, but everybody has many jobs basically. Everyone has about three jobs each, only some of which are like, and more than that, aren't paid. Um, so when it comes to specific roles and when it comes to specific um jobs, I suppose the weight of that gets redistributed all the time. We have to be as flexible as we can be, and we have to like, know our limitations as well when it comes to that. Like if like if anyone's approaching burnout, if anyone's having like a bad time in a personal space or a personal life situation, um, the team kind of needs to be sensitive to that, needs to be able to manage it. Yeah. I think more often than not it just sort of comes down to logistics, which 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 sounds kind of boring, but it just it kind of is what keeps it ticking along. It's like and I think we've worked well as a team for quite a long time and we've we've kind of know where each other's strengths are and so Mook for example was on the committee but she was also a graphic designer and then basically sort of realised that her role was only encompassing graphic design and she wasn't really interested in curating going forward so it kind of worked well to just 
say you can be the graphic designer and that's that's great but so we we kind of have figured that out slowly as we've gone along is who's got which strengths where and, and yeah and who wants to do what mm. basically mm. we it's just like this whole process was really valuable because it just basically showed us that this is this is us the three of us want to do it and we're ready to commit and we're ready to invest more time into it and and the future will require for us to like make do some make some changes to become more financially sustainable and that that involves like applying for public funding and we've had some feedbacking sessions uh this basically like showed us that we need to like rethink our our space and how we use it and potentially open uh uh, part of it as a as uh, as studios or yeah like we're thinking all the time about the best way to sustain the gallery because I think that's the most difficult thing to do is nurse that space and um some things we're thinking of are like selling coffees selling um more kind of artworks like small artworks that people want to sell through the gallery <laughs> and also renting out the studio space at the top floor potentially to oh, a person who's got a kill wants to do ceramics work and if they're like it's all just kind of stuff to make everything more manageable basically i know i've said manageable a lot but it's definitely a word yeah. that we're thinking of at the moment yeah and i think also it's always difficult because at the moment for example the, the way that we've been running as a model a business model in terms of getting money coming into the gallery is mm-hmm. is just applying for separate projects to creative scotland funding and sometimes we've got it which has been really great and ideally that's how the model should work but sometimes we haven't and when you get to a place where you're not able to kind of give the same experience to all the artists that you work with that's not a sustainable model for us financially or kind of creatively artistically either yeah we got um funding for the Debbie Young, Jameson Finlay and Ted Rachel Siri exhibitions from Creative Scotland but other than that we've kind of relied on Hope Scott Trust funding and most recently the Eaton Fund as well but it's like yeah it's very important to us that we focus on like paying the artists and developing our business model to afford that more easily. Yeah and becoming a bit more independent as well because whilst it's really great to be able to get feedback from funding bodies about how we need to change our structure of business and things like that and obviously it's really important to be able to get the funding but at the same time you're stepping back you're giving a bit of your freedom away if you're not able to be a bit more if you're reliant totally on funding from other people then obviously you have to act in the way that they want you to act yeah yes yeah and basically it's really important that even if we don't get the funding we still can pay the bills and exist mm-hmm. um, because we we've, we've proven that a lot can be done with like fundraisers mm-hmm. and donations. It's not and extremely you. little, basically. Yeah. A lot can be done with extremely little as long as people are willing yeah. to put a lot of themselves and a lot of time into it. But it's not the best situation. But yeah, finding ways yeah. like fundraisers and just kind of any opportunity to put money back into the gallery is really important. And back into the art scene, basically. Mm-hmm. As we discussed before, like we have so many um, new artists coming graduating from Glasgow School of Art mm-hmm. and they have nowhere to show their work. Like there are very few places that can just basically represent them and can take them on and and offer help beyond like just hiring the space out for money. Um so I think we're doing very important work in 
this regard. Yeah, especially for like rec- like immediate graduates, basically. Like we ran the Italian Monday program in twenty seventeen, which was like a mentorship program. We had the graduate residencies for Adam Benclough in twenty seventeen as well, actually summer of twenty seventeen. Um and then two other graduate residencies last summer for um Holly Osborne and Josephine Lee as well as um Zoetrope, uh kind of artist combo and yeah, Haley Jane Dawson as well. So I think, and now we've had Kian and Siri in the space. And it's just really fun and fresh and revitalising. And it just feels like good stuff to be doing. It feels like it... It's exciting. Of, it's exciting, but it's also exciting because the people who are doing it really want to be there, yeah. basically. Like, it's not... Yeah. And in terms of um, sort of progress in someone's career, it's really, it feels really valuable to be able to be part of that and to be able to keep people making work. Because I think a big challenge for so many people is that they just lose time to keep making artwork when they're out of that environment mm. which isn't unexpected at all mm. like yeah you suddenly have to get a job and there's no time to do have space to be creative mm-hmm. or get many jobs yeah, three jobs exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah or like a job that requires you to work from six until two o'clock in the morning and yeah it's just really like I'm really grateful that we get to work with people that are so keen to work. Yeah, it's yeah, really nice. And there's like there's a kind of there's there's always been massive enthusiasm kind of on all parties. It's that and that's just kind of the environment that you, you want to be working in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and at the core of it is us giving different kinds of support to the artists. We're we're take we're trying to take care of them the best we can, and we're giving them the space. But we also um, like the curatorial collaborative, so we're giving them curatorial supervision, and we're giving them the the, to- the selection of tools we have. We're uh, giving them uh, help with marketing mm-hmm. uh, equipment we've got, and like a lot of my bar- my background is in history of art and also contemporary fiction, contemporary sort of art writing. So it's really nice to be able to kind of incorporate that into works and mm-hmm. like think more about that more carefully and to kind of develop this supplementary program even if it's like with talks even if it's with um just giving resources in the gallery it's really nice it's really nice to be able to bring like your independent interests into a collaborative work yeah i think that works quite often really well with the publications so we almost all of the exhibitions that we've done we've run a publication alongside it Mm -hmm. so that's been they've all varied like hugely and some of them obviously have been collaborative if they've been group shows or group residencies but that's been where because Isabella and I both did sort of literature and things like that. So there's there's always like different things that we can contribute to the what, the final product. And it's not just an artist just coming in and saying like, I want to put these works here and they're just using the space. So that's where we come in. Which is yeah. nice. We're trying to add to the discourse basically yeah. and leave, leave every exhibition leaves this publication behind mm-hmm. to like, yeah, be evidence of that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I just want to go back a little bit to what you were saying about the structure of um, 16 Nicholson Street. Specifically because there's been a huge decline in these kind of artist-run spaces, notably was the Pipe Factory. I think that got shut down and evicted recently. I'm not sure if it's reopened again. Um, But it seems to be happening quite a lot. I think it's... It's been bought out, wasn't it? Like... The the thing was regarding that building, because I know Leon Dios, Mm. is that they had a, I think it was something ridiculous, like a 30-year lease. Uh And the the landlord was just like, actually, I can make a lot more from this building now. I'm going to evict you Mm. because you haven't paid rent 
or something or other. It was some minor technicality and he just my, evicted the whole space. My friend Georgia Sparks kindly runs a collective in that space. Okay. Because they have this in-between time when, when the new lease does not kick in and mm -hmm. they can just, they could, they just have empty space after Pipe Factory. So right now it runs as an art collective and studios. Okay. Well, but yeah. it's not, um, it's going to end soon. I don't know. Yeah. The, the period was like, a year or something. Yeah. yeah. But they've also been doing this all over the place. Like, they're building up an area. They're releasing it as artist studios mm -hmm. to art wash it by means of... They're putting up the price because, oh, look, it's arty here. Yeah, gentrification. Gentrification. And then they're kicking them out and they're like, okay, we're sending this now. It's yeah. that. But I think these yeah. these places just do shift and move so much across Glasgow. Like, it used to be Finiston where everybody had their studios and obviously mm -hmm. now that's been priced out for ages and... I think we're quite lucky with the area that we're in because I think we can stay there for a while. But it, I think it's one of those things, it's hard to kind of predict where it's going to be in that that mm. instability is really difficult, particularly if you're wanting to create something with a legacy that's that's going on for a long time. I think people will have to start becoming a lot more, I guess, flexible and maybe changing location or things like that. But it's so hard because an organisation its kind of identity mm. might be t tied to one place so specifically like it's hard just to up and move or change if you have to like pipe factory just i think the matter of gentrification is quite difficult because it can be said that the opening of the art gallery where all mm -hmm. the young hip people are coming is in a way gentrifying the area and i was speaking to a friend of mine who's basically working to to like identify how to resolve that problem in some way like mm -hmm. how can spaces like that collaborate um with the local community or like be aware of the community and it just seems like there's with no i mean there's no successful pattern of behavior in some way when we're talking about our set spaces like the lack of actual space mm -hmm. is something that we're lucky enough to have like less of a concern over basically but i'm not surprised at all that like it's not a sustainable environment for a lot of artists who have to worry about things like rent like if you like and have to worry about paying bills and have to worry about things like being the way that they should be if that makes sense um especially if a landlord can just um turn around and say like i've changed my mind you need to like you're evicted basically especially if like it's not a case of knowing exactly what you've got for a certain amount of time it's something that is shifting mm -hmm. and like it's but flexibility is important, but you can be you can only be so flexible. Yeah, yeah. and it's hard to build on something if that's shifting, like yeah. shifting sands, basically. Um, yeah, but Sorry. I think given that, also, I, I think what we do, what we were saying earlier as well, is we have seen just an incredible like resourcefulness, and I think there is a kind of dwindling of these spaces but the reason that these spaces exist is also a response to a lack of mm -hmm. these spaces and there are so many young creative people that stay in Glasgow and want to make a life for themselves want to make a practice here want to you know see these art spaces being supported and that's why spaces like ours other spaces that are run by similar models like um, market gallery and things like that they all come from a response to it's put it's it's also pushing back against the lack of space. So it's, I think there will always be the same resourcefulness in the scene here, which is what will kind of hopefully 
make people able to keep going with projects like ours. Yeah, and in Edinburgh as well, like Rebaba and Embassy are such like fantastic spaces. Like we really, about yeah, so much like love for those spaces. And um it's just really like exciting and nice to be part of that environment as well, I think. Like it's just a really pleasant <laughs> space to be in. You can cut that out. That would be chaotic. <laughs> but <laughs> no, no, that's and I was like yeah, yeah, I thought you were. so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's hard to sound cheerful with it. In my head, being like, you're being silly. That's <laughs> emotional, isn't it? Just in my feelings. It's fine. I did want to touch a little bit on if you, because I know that, like I've written in the notes, you're three rather young women professionals. Uh, I wanted to ask if if you've noticed any specific incidents where, um, maybe not name and shame, but like, do you feel like it's a little bit harder? Yeah, I think, especially because I started the space, like I became involved with the space when I was in my undergraduate year at Glasgow Uni. Like mm-hmm. I think um, it's not just being like young and female that stops you from being taken seriously a lot of the time, but specifically being young, like that's oh, okay. had almost more of an effect, like, especially because I, I work at the bar on most 60 Nicholson Street openings and mm-hmm. very telling when someone comes into the space that they think that, like, whether or not they think it's worth being nice to me, basically, if I'm buying the bar, which is good fun. But, like, good mostly, people. <laughs> mostly everyone works in hospitality. You know not to be mean to the person giving you alcohol. But you'd be surprised, honestly, you'd be surprised. And um, I think when it comes to being a woman, like, the art scene is inundated with women. Like, it's not a stranger to sort of female bodies, female work and female attention. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, there's an element, I think, with some um, people where they think that you're there to be guided. And, like, often I need guidance. Like, we need guidance. Mm-hmm. We're a very young space. But I think there are ways to guide people that aren't quite as yeah. eternal, mm-hmm. I feel like. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was interesting because we were discussing how, uh, reading the question that you you sent us, that question about whether we found barriers for for being three women, Aga and I both said that we hadn't even ever thought about that until you asked the question, which I guess is perhaps a good answer to the question. Yeah. Um, But I definitely think being young makes a huge difference, and I particularly (laughs) suffer because I look about 18, so I find it quite... People are, 12. Yeah, people are <laughs> taken aback when, you know, they ask me a question and I obviously just, like, uh, I'm like, yeah, yeah, but, like, me and my friends run the space and mm-hmm. they're always like, oh, okay. Um, but I think it also, like, ends up with a bit of imposter syndrome. Like, I oh, definitely totally, yeah. felt, like, if you know that someone's looking at you as if you shouldn't be in a space, mm-hmm. so you shouldn't have the position that you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was an assumption if you're young as well that it's been handed to you. In some ways it has been handed to me, but it doesn't mean that like we're not working yeah and it doesn't mean that like yeah. <laughs> um the actual logistics the actual admin the actual like physical work that we do because we do like a lot of the technical install as well like we yeah. do we're kind of yeah. got many hats and all that kind of thing but it's just yeah yeah i suppose if we were all tall and with periods and <laughs> <laughs> then <laughs> then people would not like be surprised when we stand next to the bar and mm-hmm. they would just think, yeah, they are curators, they would mm-hmm. probably run it. Yeah. But when yeah. they just see us there, they 
most of the time don't even think I mean at least in my case most of the time most of the time people don't think I'm connected to the space mm -hmm. so I even met a few people this time around that I vaguely know or like some some ex teachers slash te technicians from Glasgow School of Art who um who were like oh what are you doing here and I'm like yeah <laughs> I created this you know, around the space yeah. and they were like shocked in a way that you could <laughs> you're just like Oh, so it's you. I mean, yeah, and that I felt very much like what you just described, the imposter syndrome, yeah. like, kind of. But I think, like, the way that we're all doing this is because we think that we can, yeah. and we wouldn't be taking on this project if we didn't think that we had the ability to do the whole thing, and we do do the whole thing ourselves. Like, there is so much that needs to be done. So I think, like, just being constantly reminded of that, like every time we have an exhibition opening, there are loads of people there or whatever, there's always like something that kind of like pushes away that doubt and you're like, okay, yeah, I think we have, like we can get some things on the go. <laughs> Thank you. I think yeah. we're earning our stripes and like me and Nell, we started like almost a year ago. Oh yeah, last January. Yeah. So yeah. So I think, I feel like for me, that's this was a process of like earning my stripes, and I, and I think the next time it's gonna be easier when the next show opens, the where I am like the face of it, mm -hmm. and that will be received in a different way. Mm. No teachers being surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so can we talk a little bit about the current exhibition that's on um, our world dash the world to come? This is your first show at the space. It's the first show I curated in yeah six months. Congratulations on that! Thank you. <laughs> I uh, really did like the handout, the way it opens up, and it's kind of like it's it's like the flat pack version of what's going on on all the floors, <laughs> and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah that's my way of um, trying to combat the 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 lack of good readable materials in a lot of art spaces. Mm. I feel like. Maybe not readable, just like intuitively kind of understandable. Yeah. Accessible, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I created this mind map because I, I felt that for me as a dyslexic person as well, that would help immensely to kind of see someone's brain and understand, okay, so that's a little how it connects mm. and I can see all those words next to each other. So what's there is mostly materials. Uh, listed materials of each each piece broken down into the materials mm -hmm. and and concepts some of the concepts as well yeah and I just enjoy this kind of a bit like more graphic uh, way of transmi transmitting information and yeah. and actually the whole show is about that about mm -hmm. transmitting knowledge in different ways not to pick and choose but I really enjoyed Siri Black's um, piece upstairs and um, the little monitor with the headpiece. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. As well as the really old school... Um, you mean the slide projector? The slide projector, sorry, yes. I, I think everyone walked in and we saw... We looked at the slides and then we looked at the projector and then we all went up to the projector like, oh, yeah, that's so nice. <laughs> we thought that would happen. We thought that would happen because we also initially wanted to put the projector in the, in the kind of... There is this little door that opens into like a private corridor so we yeah. actually thought maybe we just put it in there so people can't I don't know just lean against it or like leave a drink on top of it yeah. 
all the things you don't want to happen, but then we decided, no, like everyone will look as much as the, at the projectors as on, on the projection. Yeah. And, uh, and especially that they're connected, there are two projector projectors yeah. connected with like a special machine that makes them run in sync. Mm. Um, and I think that's quite interesting to watch as yeah. well, because the big part of the labor behind this show is just figuring out how to basically work those old machines in a new way yeah and kind of restage that historical way of historical right now way of, of looking at at events um and and yeah basically the reality how we used to capture it and how we can basically reinterpret that and put that in our in a contemporary context yeah i was i yeah i was just amazed at it because it was, had very an old school console but then everything else was really new and I was just I as a curator I wouldn't even know where to start with this I think I would cry I would watch some <laughs> YouTube tutorials <laughs> fail swear go outside come back in swear some more <laughs> um yeah. yeah, I think that's a total fascination of uh, series as well. Like even in her videos, and even in yeah. the sort of development, like not the development, the communication of information, as you said, like in transmitting, mm-hmm. is such a huge part of it. And this combination of like old information and old structures, and like its contemporary or current transmission, mm-hmm. is really important too. It's really nice that like that kind of adapticism between the old and new is something that's very striking in the exhibition. Yeah. As we talked about it, it kind of crystallized that what what it's all about is the interplay between the different um, we call it supporting structures, mm-hmm. um, and by that actually, in a way, she means that ex- all the technology that kind of extends our way of seeing, yeah, and that also determines how we present everything and how we record. It. Like we we develop that technology to see, mm-hmm. but we also to be seen in a way. Like, yeah. and we also like. Oh God, I'm really I know what you mean because like we were talking as well about kind of delusion ways of seeing and like thinking about a thousand plateaus and transmissions and intake basically as this kind of rhythmic experience of constant development and constant um, progression and kind of what happens when some of those. Um, foundations and boundaries and like the initial like result if you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, has fault like flaws and has issues and it has updates that haven't successfully like developed into the rest of these structures basically so yeah yeah I hope that picks up on what you were saying in some way if that makes or that complicated it in some way in a way but, like it's about yeah you're 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 completely right it's it's um it's the way things we make function mm-hmm. that defines how we function later mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Yeah. It's and like a feedback loop that's constant. Okay. Then yeah. there are explorations and the exhibition of like where that if that gets broken, what happens. Yeah, and this functioning of things becomes an actor of its own. Mm-hmm. And like we say in the text, an actor in its own right. Which means it defines everything we do as much as as we defined how it works. And then we like this technology lives longer than we do most of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think not anymore actually, but um, but that's why we can in a way use it to orchestrate a performance mm-hmm. to look at it as sort of future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we just take away the people and we just show the functions we we designed for all these objects. Mm-hmm. 
and they all perform together and this is also just like a history of seeing Mm -hmm. and that's just serious curiosity Mm -hmm. that she just investigated to that degree and questioned it by creating (laughs) fake slides of the moon landing as well that are incorporated into the historical like materials that she found at the flea market basically so so yeah Yeah. that's it (laughs) it's like this really crazy thing that we're kind of creating a dark age for the future because all of the all of the data that we store now isn't written down anywhere it's all on the internet but servers eventually get written over it's like cct footage that Mm -hmm. gets erased and replaced Mm -hmm. so it in the future there'll be people who are trying to find out information about our generation at this point in time and there won't be anything available because it will all have been written over on the surface yeah (laughs) which is really really weird to think yeah but yeah, in a way, it's a retro-futuristic show because, mm. yeah, it's not about the big data. It's about how we used to look at things. Mm. And evolution. Mm. I think that feeds into um, uh, Kian Dernier's piece downstairs. So it's a, that large wooden sculpture, which I didn't even realize was rotating until <laughs> I was really staring at it. I was like, is that thing moving? <laughs> Yeah, Kian was saying as well, in, um, because that was a work that was included in Kian's exhibition in Degree Show, people said, um, he was saying that people didn't realise it was moving until they put their bag on it, and their <laughs> bag was like half the room away from them. But, yes. yeah. I think it's like three metres across yeah. or something. But that also speaks to, I think, the world of before, where everything just kind of moved really slow, yeah. whereas now everything is just fast. And I... I really enjoyed it mm-hmm. i really enjoyed watching it i enjoyed as people realized that it was moving and i was like mm-hmm. it's moving <laughs> i clocked it too <laughs> yeah Aww. but yeah it's such a funny thing with the japanese long weed that's up in the first floor as yeah. well because kian was talking to us quite at length about that and she was thought material mm. available about that as well but um it was such an aggressive weed that was basically colonised from Japan, taken over by uh, what was termed as a British adventurer, mm-hmm. um, who put it in Kew Gardens, and then it was treated as a predatory species because it's a female weed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't require any insemination to reproduce. It just reproduces itself and can grow up to 12 centimetres a day, which might not wow. like that much, but in plant terms, that's bananas. That's crazy. <laughs> and, um, yeah... To do with that and like was slow but it ends up being a much faster movement than you ex- like expect and I think mm. on the bottom floor like it's very it's gradual but it is consistent and it is like it is almost well, like the species was invasive I don't know what you'd say for the sculpture but yeah that kind of I don't know how many centimetres it rotates a day um well <laughs> it rotates one way and then it goes back mm-hmm. and after a few rotations it stops basically because yeah. that's the whole point that the loop of the code the code that loops mm-hmm. is supposed to loop forever and ever however somehow Kian made this code that just exhausts itself and at one point stops mm-hmm. and then you have to restart it and it's a little bit of a mystery yeah and um but that, does he know why it does it he, he doesn't just... that's what yeah. where the whole concept mm-hmm. kind of was born that that basically you create you can this... create something and then you have no control over 
Yeah, yeah, and you have to work for it as much as it works for you, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. So, so you know, it determines your behavior as much as you determine it. So, which is fascinating because it feeds into the AI theories where yeah. the ghost in the machine, where yeah. somewhere it has consciousness and it's just thinking up its own things. It's... What do you think of all that kind of stuff? Do you think that exciting? Do you think it's scary? Artificial intelligence. Yeah, I find it interesting, specifically lately an artist worked with an artificial intelligence machine to paint a portrait. I don't know if you've seen this portrait. It looks quite ghostly, but the machine itself was replicating a painting it it had already seen. Mm -hmm. I think what would be interesting is if we started asking AI to paint self-portraits. That's where I'm at, where I'm like, how would you define yourself? (laughs) If this were your limits, if this canvas was your limit, how would you describe that would be very interesting when the details would stop like yeah it would be like extremely detailed yeah. picture with like way more than is visible or would it actually be just a dot <laughs> and then like it's actually yeah or if it's ever seen itself in a mirror which might sound really silly but like if it's, <laughs> if it it's seen itself in the mirror will it paint a, like a portrait of itself in the mirror will it paint a portrait of like its inner mechanism it's like i don't know it's just funny well, well, they what they do think Whoa! It's, that looks like... it's kind of eerie because the definition of the face isn't really there. So does oh, it? It looks not... like it's fallen back a bit. It looks like it's receding. It is uncanny. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's the word Actually, I'm going for. I like it. Total uncanny valley moment. But I um, <laughs> wow. genuinely do like that. Yeah, but <laughs> I. It's really creepy. It's kind of how I. Like, like, close your eyes a little. Like, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes more sense as a blur. Yeah. yeah. But I just. <laughs> For something that's meticulous as AI, that where it reads every little piece of code mm-hmm. and it doesn't oh, quite understand the structure of a face, maybe yeah. it's the 3D element onto a 2D painting that yeah, throws it. Yeah, it's the nose and mouth that's the, the problem. Yeah. And the chin <laughs> a bit. Well, yeah. Sometimes I think that's how I look in photos. You know, that's why I like it so much. Yeah. But, um, I, but maybe if they were to build like a 3D model of them, of a person, it would be easier for them to do. It probably would, because it's, to... it's more, I think, perhaps more mathematical, yeah. like what you would do in the 3D printer, where you would mm. implant. But yeah. So for the exhibition, Our World, The World to Come, you've got some interesting talks coming up, including... Emily May Armstrong from the University of Glasgow talking about epigenetics and trauma, inherited trauma, sorry. And Felix Urban from the University of Edinburgh talking about the current models of particle physics and physics beyond the standard model. Very interesting talks. Me particularly interested in the inherited trauma. Yeah. But also the other one is equally as interesting. I just don't have a reference point within physics. Mm. Yeah, let's start with Emily. Um, yeah. Because... Are you familiar with epigenetics? Or yeah. maybe I should just say something about yeah, it. Yeah, the intro. Um, so, so basically, um, it's a study that tries to find out why certain genes are kind of turned on in mm. certain areas of your body. For example, like because all cells have the same genes inside of them, but like, how do the cells of the heart know their the heart, not the liver? Yeah. or skin mm-hmm. or something yeah. and why do those certain qualities are being, like I said, turned on there mm-hmm. and not somewhere else and um, and basically also that study shows that the, the substance that turns those certain qualities on retains memory mm-hmm. of past cell, cellular, cell, 
Cellular? 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 That's very difficult for me. Cellular? Cellular? Trauma? This thing? Trauma? Yeah, so for example, uh, it has been, um, there There was a research about the, the hunger in the, in the Netherlands uh, around the World War II. Mm-hmm. And so the generations who came after, like who, like basically kids and grandkids of people who have ex- survived that hunger, mm-hmm. who are more likely to have diabetes or, or be anorexic or have any kind of uh, related mental or or actual like physical um, diseases, so that kind of was the first time where it was proven that mm-hmm. the past can kind of influence you your, on a genetic level. Yeah, on the mm-hmm. genetic level, you can mm-hmm. retain that memory basically, mm-hmm. um, or like be more likely to to like one type of food or not the other. And um, so we find that really fascinating because yeah. that's also. The whole the whole exhibition is about structures and failing structures and kind of how we come up with certain technology that's not perfect but it serves us for a while mm-hmm. and we could have came up with something better but that was what we have and that was what led us to create this new technology because like this is the whole story with basically creating the microchips right so in order to create them we have to create this whole like underground room um, that no, no vibrations can get into because what creates the microchip is a tiny laser but they have to kind of narrow it down extremely so the only way to do it is to bounce the laser off several m- meticulously placed mirrors mm-hmm. and that laser kind of shapes the, the mi- or, like carves the microchip mm-hmm. And we can't even like see like exactly what it does because it's so wow. small. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the things that work in our phones more or less. And and that technology all around it, like this mirrors and all that, is like quite old and not perfect for doing that. But that's the technology we developed before for doing this new perfected version of the chip. But if we had better technology, we could create the tinier laser. Mm-hmm. Who would act, that would actually do it much better, but so this is all like kind of the snowball of, of creation. Yeah, and like we are kind of the same as human bodies, and our genes are yeah. in the same kind of process in some way. So that's why that talk was very interesting and relevant for us. Yeah, what kind of um, direction will Emily May Armstrong be taking the talk? I mean, it's happening on the twenty sixth of January. Well, she's talking about her research she's, she's okay she's currently writing her phd and she's been doing a lot of lab research involving um plants okay because apparently the same principles would work mm-hmm. in plants as they work in us this talk seeks to introduce the concept of epigenetic regulation how this controls tissue specific gene expression and stress memory in plants and finally how epigenetics is being used to understand molecular trauma inheritance inheritance in a broader sense. So basically she's trying to develop a model that will let us understand mm-hmm. how certain genes are turned on. Yeah. 
and how some are not. Okay. So and why that makes us inherit trauma. Yes. Because that is related to to trauma basically. They turn on because of mm-hmm. it. I mean not always, yeah. but yeah. partially. So it must be like an extreme <clears throat> amount of stress on the body. Mm-hmm. It it's basically a flight or fright mode. Yeah, and it also is relevant for for diseases like cancer even. Mm-hmm. But it also is relevant for depression and I don't know, other kinds of uh, mental uh, inherited inherited uh, complications. So in the end she says that epigenetic regulation is universal within complex organisms, and arguably so is memory. Molecular memory of stressors is a key survival mechanism in an ever-changing world. Emily will discuss new research into how mammalian molecular stress responses are hereditary and why trauma can be passed for generations. Mm. So she'll basically give us an insight into her current research. Nice. And was that something that you wanted to have incorporated into the program, or was it one of the artists that said, oh, there's this person doing this kind of work? It was. Um, it came up actually on our first meeting. Okay. Um, or maybe second. Yeah. And we decided to, to have a, an event with talks. Mm-hmm. And we were brainstorming different um, different ideas, and we did want to target a little different kind of audience than mm-hmm. we usually do. So we wanted to reach out beyond the art school and beyond the the other kinds of art crowds, mm-hmm. and just touch touch the university, mm-hmm. and especially that the, that the show is is so so technological and so relevant. To like topics that mm-hmm. are within the world of science, and it was like one from one word to another. Then suddenly, suddenly, we said, "Okay, and how about the genetics?" And like someone said, "Epigenetics," and then someone had a friend <laughs> who had, and then it just was a basically brainstorm yeah. uh, process. Uh, Felix was a different story. Felix, I don't know if he is. I don't remember if it was Siri or Kian mm-hmm. who suggested Felix, but he was like, a, okay, some he was a he was kicking as a suggestion from one of the artists. Okay, it's nice that you've had this you you've had a chance to build the program with the artists because I know a lot of institutions they tend to just fit things in because it fits as opposed to if this is actually something the artist is looking at. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. I mean, it's always a balance. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a kind of a special exhibition, as Isabella mentioned. Um, some of the pieces were a part of the degree show mm. that Siri and Kian had made together. So we started off having some of the artwork already. And initially we thought we'll just have that artwork that was already mm-hmm. in the degree show and we'll focus on only creating like more curatorial material mm-hmm. and events and stuff like that. However, after I've figured out that we that the space also calls for for developing the whole concept and yeah. for developing the pieces and all of them have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, even though some of the shapes are preserved, like each and every piece is different mm-hmm. and and some pieces are completely new as well um but i think all, all when we kind of start 
the process of curating something we always have such kind of fruitful and interesting conversations with the artists and that's part of the thing that the artists that work with us always say is like they have they come with an idea and they have a proposal or whatever they've sent us but where the programming comes in and where we come in also is, is like just having this discussion and being an outside voice to kind of bounce ideas off and mm-hmm. that's like really rewarding for us as well because that's where the ideas of like who you want to come and speak at events or who you want to ask to perform at openings and things like that that's mm-hmm. where all those come from and it's always like an equal input from us and from the artists and it's always worked out really nicely that way and there's an, a third, third part to that event which is the guest artists mm-hmm. um they will not be there in person. However, they they lend us a, a, an art piece mm-hmm. that will uh, be exhibited in the space nice. during that day. And um, in a way, we are all in it to create dialogue around art. So mm-hmm. it's very important to reach out to to people abroad or people wherever in the world um, who work with similar themes. So we can just I don't know. Just makes in that big pot of <laughs> art, <laughs> art. Yeah. Yeah. and um, and uh, and did guest artists from Netherlands, um, and uh, it so happens that they worked with the same set of topics of technology and media uh, visibility mm-hmm. and erasure in the, the d- digital time, and um, they wrote this web based essay that just. Um, is like heavily uh, based on like Marxist theories and different um, different quotes from very important philosophical piece uh, books, but also framed in their own theories. However, like once you start reading it, it it just slowly degrades and disappears, and okay. it still it still transmits the ideas in some ways. So it's, why I like it because again it's it's words that lack the the glue in between mm-hmm. but your brain still can create the glue itself so mm-hmm. I don't I'm very curious to see how people interact yeah. with that definitely yeah. so when does this show close how, how long do it's we have last weekend isn't it this is the yeah Sunday's last day okay yeah. Sunday and then we're on to Michelle Pereira's exhibition amazing in mid February early yes, February the seventh the seventh that's quite yeah. a quick yeah, kind of... Yeah, it is. So, yeah. <laughs> when I was talking about how we have like the overarching programme mm-hmm. and there are sometimes maybe gaps where things fit in quite conveniently, that sort of happened with this. So there is a bit, there's almost an overlap, but it worked quite yeah. nicely. Okay. Um, and it's been good because, uh, so Michelle, part of what we discussed with her is using the studio space upstairs to work in so that she can kind of build her sculptures with a mind to installing them like straight in the gallery and thinking about how they can be site specific so that's quite that's quite a nice part of I guess a different arrangement that we make with different artists but Mm -hmm. um yeah her exhibition is coming up and it's uh, kind of exploring themes of tourism and souvenirs and kind of uh cultural narratives so when we take 
souvenirs and objects out of their cultural context, like mm-hmm. how they lose meaning or how they can gain different meanings. Yeah, especially like one of the events that we have programmed alongside that is hopefully going to be a visit to the um, Glasgow Museum's Resource Centre, the GMRC, mm-hmm. um, to kind of look at how these works would be, and these pieces, especially kind of shrine objects and religious artefacts from Sri Lanka specifically. Um, have been taken out of context, like had a context taken out of context and then re-established in this sort of like archival context mm-hmm. um, and also thinking a lot about how like these kind of trinkets and souvenirs have like really shifting value depending on whether you're part of that culture mm-hmm. or whether you're like a kind of interloper into that culture who's bringing something back in terms of how like especially kind of some of the shrine objects are treated Without the same, I suppose, grandiose, grandiosity. <laughs> yeah. Without <laughs> as being as like grand and specific as maybe like some oh. Catholic and Christian like um, relics are. Basically, there's not the same like, I suppose respect. Respect, but in like a, a very specific way that like, they're not these like um, they're not on a pedestal. They're mm-hmm. not untouchable mm-hmm. like they're starting to specifically be touched so that their like worth is really dependent on like how much religious value you place in that object like um i was saying it's funny to see all these like bits of like religious relics with like tinfoil on them and all these kind of funny like patches of where um in a ceremony they would have been frequently like touched they would have been like if that's part of it you just kind of they end up bashed yeah like it's difficult to house something in a museum or house something in a gallery that yeah. has that kind of mm-hmm. very human interaction mm-hmm. and then to think about how that very human interaction has been um translated by an interloper by, or like by a tourist basically mm-hmm. and yeah that's a big part of the exhibition i think about like um dance thinking about costume costume mm-hmm. as well um, and i think also yeah. michelle was really keen to kind of interact with a lot of particularly like pollock shields and govan hill and the local uh, immigrant communities mm-hmm who live and they're very close to the gallery as well, so I think she's trying to source a lot of her material from, from shops that are run by Pakistani, Sri Lankan immigrants mm-hmm. because she's really interested in bringing that kind of element of removal from culture but then still within its original context but yeah. in a completely new place and mm-hmm. just like having that then transported to the gallery, which is a completely new space but also a domestic space. It's kind mm-hmm. of really what something she wanted to tie into the show mm. yeah and she just came back from residency in Leipzig didn't she in mm-hmm. Leipzig um, and some of the work has similar themes there but it's really nice especially in getting the proposals to see how people have thought about like wh- why they want to work in the space specifically yeah. mm-hmm. and like interesting to us <laughs> so we'll look forward to seeing that one will you be able Very to touch different. the artworks um, no, no. Was, she's actually telling us a story about being in Leipzig. Um, there was an interactive ex- exhibition next to hers, mm-hmm. um, and in one of her sculptural works, it's like a uh, it was a leg with sort of a pool noodle coming out of it, like mm-hmm. that was part of it. And um, basically, a lot of children came, were part of the interactive exhibition, moved through to hers, and assumed it was the same oh, interactive oh, energy, no. and just started smacking the leg sculpture with one of the pool noodles. <laughs> Oh, so wow. if anyone's listening to this and coming to the exhibition, please don't do that. Yeah, um, behaviour. <laughs> pull noodle etiquette. <laughs> I, I'm such a culprit, I touch everything. Yeah. 
I'm scared. I would go up to a Picasso and be like, "Look at that!" You'd just be smacked down. <laughs> I know it's it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's now. <laughs> my job is telling people not to touch it's, the painting. <laughs> it's been it's happened before in Hauser and Worth. I was looking at Clifford Still's huge painting, and I went so close. I heard the invigilator's chair just swing back, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> "Were you at the one in Whoops. Somerset?" Um, yes. Yeah that's, yeah, that's basically where I'm from. Yeah. It's really nice. It's really it nice is. Gallery. I always get very upset when they tell me in the gallery that I'm standing too close. Yeah, that's too annoying. Close. I don't think I've ever been told that. Because I'm too scared to touch <laughs> it. <anything's laughs> uh, I, I, I was too close to it. And I was not, I mean, obviously I was close, but I was not. Were you like kicking down barriers? And, like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <we're laughs> <in, laughs> someone told me it and when I was in Bruges and looking at the Horn Hornimus Bosch. But obviously, I was like, because it's so detailed, yeah, yeah, so gory, yeah. It's just pitch. and then I wanted to be like, this is my job. They don't tell me what to do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> obviously, they're not to know that, but yeah, I think I do tell people it sometimes because it's so 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 busy. I work at the National Gallery, so it's like intense. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't if you were just like, I don't know, in a small space. There's like yeah. common sense to it, isn't mm-hmm. there? Yeah. Okay, so no touching. No, I think it's going to be hard no not touching. to touch because it's very yeah. playful and yeah. fun. But we want it to be quite like a fun exhibition. Yeah, and <clears throat> we're hopefully going to have like punch and fun yeah, we're going to have opening. a holiday punch yeah. in the evening, like a okay. tourist yes. punch. Yes, sold it to me. Any other questions? I'm good, unless you want to ask me something. Uh, How have you found doing this? Like, what have been the challenges and actually locations? Locations. Locations. Yeah. Um, more than anything. Um, but no, other than that, everyone's been pretty open about it, including yourselves. Thanks. You know, very much <laughs> on board. Like, yes, let's do this. Yeah. I'll just take an opportunity to plug the podcast. That Go I'm for it. Do with Adam ben- like, I'm doing Go for Adam it. Ben- it's going to be released next week. It's called The Breaking Up Podcast. It's good fun. But doing that... Like, all the things I edit out are me saying like, me laughing too loudly, <laughs> and um, sometimes when I think I swear too much and it sounds crass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, much. my mother say. Literally, like, if my mum listens to it, she, there's a lot of stuff in it that's quite intimate anyway, so if she listens to it, she'll be mortified, but, but still. Well, the context like, of the podcast, just don't send it to her. Oh no, she will not listen to it anyway. It was, I promise yeah. you. I promise you. Yeah, the same with my mum. She was like, I don't know what that is. I'm like, yes. That works well for me. You don't know how to podcast. Gives you freedom. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, thanks very much for coming. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. And I will let you know when this comes out. And we will all go to 16 Nicholson Street to look at the upcoming programme. Excellent. Thanks yeah. so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks again.